0: Well, good to see all of you here today and uh, to be able to, to preach with you uh, on this, the Sunday of Transfiguration, last Sunday of Epiphany, as Mother Susan reminded us. Um, I, I, I love this passage, and I've, I've preached it so many times, it's such an important reminder to us that, that it's all about listening to Jesus, and I think it's done in such a dramatic way. I would love... To see like a really well-done version of the the Gospels where where we see this put out, you know, in, in video form and can see what it looked like for them to be enveloped in the cloud and to hear the voice of God saying, This is my son, in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. We get to see Jesus in this transfiguration. In all of his glory, the the curtains are pulled back for us. That's why he is bright, shining. That's why he is so glorious, because he is being revealed in in his fullness. They can see the person they've been following, and all of a sudden they realize that, that, wow, you know, Jesus is all he said he was and more, and it's an amazing thing. And perhaps you would wish to be there with him on the mountain, but we weren't, but we have these witnesses Peter and James and John who tell us about it. I want to suggest to you though that this morning that not only do we get this picture of Jesus in his full glory in our reading from Luke, but we also get a picture of Jesus in all of his glory from the 1 Corinthians reading that Elena did such a great job reading for us a little bit ago. It's a different picture of Jesus's glory. But it's his glory nonetheless. Now maybe you heard those words and they are so very poetic. And maybe you thought, oh, that's the passage I've heard from all the weddings I've ever been to, right? Love is patient, love is kind. I think that's a, it's an appropriate passage to read it at, um, at weddings. But I believe it has a word for us this morning as well. So if you get access to the Pew Bible or if you've got your phone and pull up a Bible app just love for you to take a look at that with me this morning because i I want to look not at the transfiguration picture of jesus 's glory but rather I want to pull your attention to the first Corinthians chapter twelve and then on to chapter thirteen. We begin in verse twenty seven of chapter twelve. There are lots of things to say about this chapter it 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 is defining love for us, and love is a very popular word. Um, Everybody wants to talk about love, and they want to use love. They want to weaponize love. Can I say that? What's loving would be, and then they say something, which I think is very counter to what Paul is trying to explain to us here in in 1 Corinthians, and what he's trying to say to these Corinthian Christians, which of course was his first audience there are I don't know if you've ever counted them but in those middle verses the ones that are often read in weddings love is patient love is kind love does not envy or boast is not arrogant and rude and so on those there are 15 different verbs that Paul uses to define love and I would suggest to you that that this is the type of love we're talking about I was with my covenant group on Thursday night and and it came up that we really need to define what love is Because it's used everywhere by everyone and can mean all sorts of things. Jesus is the fullest expression of love. As a Christian, that's what we believe. Jesus is the perfect expression of love. And so in a sense, when we read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, particularly 4 through 7, we should read in it the person of Jesus so that you could actually take your verse and I, I was telling Myers this morning he, this is gonna be some review for him because he was in my summer camp program this summer but last summer but, but if you could take those middle verses and you might even just take the word Jesus and replace them with the word love. Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. Jesus is not arrogant or rude. Jesus does not insist on his own way. He's not irritable and resentful. He does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Jesus rejoices with the truth. Jesus bears all things. Jesus believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Jesus never ends. You could go on with verse 8 and include that there as well. Paul's point is not simply to point to Jesus, the perfect vision of what glory looks like, but to contrast that with what he sees in this Christian community in Corinth, and I want to be clear, it is a Christian community. Oftentimes, we sort of have this sort of theoretical idea that if you're a Christian, you wouldn't do that, and I want to tell you that 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians dispels any thought of that, because it is really clear that while they are a Christian community, they are a greatly flawed community as well. But don't judge them too fast, because we have the same tendency sometimes. Paul begins by saying in chapter twelve, verse twenty-seven, "You are the body of Christ, and individually members of it." There is a sense in which, yes, you are one body united, but you're also individual members who've been brought into that body, and so there's a there's an individuality, but there's also a corporate sense, a unified sense of being the body of Christ. And the problem in Corinth was quite simply that they were spiritually arrogant to the extent that they really believed that somehow they had already were experiencing the, the not yet part of the, the, the now and the not yet part of the, the eschaton, the, 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 the coming together of the fullness of the kingdom of God. They, they, they literally believed that they were like holier than thou. And and it translated some interesting things. Like for instance, they, some of the some of the people in the community said, you know, we're 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 living in the in the in the not yet time already, and uh, and we've already fully experienced the kingdom, so we're going to abstain from from sex. So spouse, sorry, but you know, I'm living in the new age, and so I have no need for sex. But you know, that kind of stuff. And and they began to to take on other things. They began to really see themselves in this spiritually arrogant position. I just want to make sure you guys are all awake this morning. That's why I said sex. You are. Some of you got awake when I said the word sex, but, but you're awake now. They were, at all, they, were not compl- they were not concerned about unity. That they, they didn't have a problem. This is the, the famous thing about, you know, how they, someone would come early and they would, they would gorge themselves on the, the, the love feast. And then when the, some of the poor people, the working people got there, there'd be nothing left and there was no concern for it. Paul's like, eat at home. Don't, don't, don't be so rude. You know, the way you express, this is the way you express the love feast by, by whoever gets there first, gets to eat the most. It's not the way to go. They had little concern for the poor. They looked down on them. Above all, they seem to have been fascinated by the gift of tongues. The ability to speak in an angelic language to have, a, if you will, a prayer language or to be able to prophesy in tongues. and Maybe some of you have experienced that. I don't need you to hold your hands up. I have. I've seen the validity of this gift. I believe it still exists. But the, but the Corinthians, sort of like if you're old enough to have lived through the 1970s, had become such a big deal that it almost became a bigger deal than knowing the person of Christ. I've told this story before, but I was once, I went into a charismatic church for a, for a, a concert, Christian concert, and, um, and there was a guy who, who turned to me and he said, have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you speak in tongues? It was like all he cared about not do you know Jesus, or are you his follower, you know, what's your ministry, what, you know, what's your sense of call and purpose in the world, but, but do you speak in tongues? It was, it's, and that's sort of the Corinthian church. They, they, were, they were just penultimately focused on the gift of tongues, which is why Paul uses that when he talks here in, in chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a clanging gong. Paul is... Paul's, he is preacher, teacher, par excellent, and Paul goes right to the heart of the matter. They were fascinated with with tongues, and they saw it as a a gauge of whether or not you were were really spiritual or not, and they made all sorts of decisions about that in terms of where people were. Paul will over and over again in the book of Corinthians, and I, I taught through this I feel like it's been maybe like a year and a half now, but we talked through this Wednesday nights. But Paul, over and over again, will go on and on to talk about, no, do what builds up. If it doesn't build up the body, it's not of God. No matter how holy it looks, they had a hard time getting that. So Paul gives them chapter 13. He, he, he talks about the gifts. You'll notice there at the end of chapter 12, there are apostles, there are prophets. Apostles literally means the sent ones, those who are sent to proclaim the gospel. The prophets, those who speak the prophetic word of God's people, not just what's going to happen, but speaking about what is happening. We need truth tellers, we need prophetic voices, probably more so than ever in the church. We need prophetic voices, but it's, but it's, it's, it's under rank. Apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, healing, Helping, administrating, various kinds of tongues. You know that's the only place in the New Testament that the, that the gift helping and administration comes up? Interesting, right? Talk about forgetting the, the guys that actually make things happen. Where would we be about the, without the gifts of help and administration? Anyway, I digress. But, but all of this is to say, Paul is, is, is talking about the importance of the gifts, but he puts them, he puts them in perspective when it comes to love. And then he's going to define love for us, so we have an understanding of what he's talking about. Well first and I have to tell you, I rely heavily on Gordon Fee. He's a New Testament scholar at Gordon Conwell College. no relation with his name, but up in Boston. And he talks about the three divisions of chapter 13. And I just borrow them from him because they're so excellent. First, and first is one through th- three, he talks about the necessity of love. The necessity of love. If I speak with the tongue of men and angels, but I have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and can understand all mysteries and knowledge and have the faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, in other words, if I'm a martyr for this faith, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Nothing. And then we get to the famous verses. But right there, let's just pause for a second. The necessity of love. Yes, we need the gifts. And and I would say it's servants, we need more, we need the gifts to be used. We need the diversity of the gifts of the body to be used. And I pray that that you know that I am the kind of leader that, that embraces the diversity of gifts and allows people to use those gifts in the body, but they're empty, they're useless if they're not motivated and undergirded by love. I was, uh, on my 50th birthday, I was down in Vero Beach, Florida. Oh, I wasn't gonna tell you where, oh well. And um, there were these, they were these young hotshots that were like doing this creative service and they were, um, they were gathering lots of people, unchurched people, and it was really exciting. And so I had been down there for something else, and so I thought, well, I'll just stop in and and ask them, "Hey, tell me what you guys are doing." I have never been in the presence of two more arrogant people in my life. They they were like, you know, they're like, "Do you know who Tim Keller is?" You just sort of, you know, really just sort of like, like I just I just crawled out from under an Episcopal rock, and I had no sense of reality. I was living in 1950s, and you know, they they just totally were just so arrogant, so rude. I mean, they could literally go through 1 Corinthians 13 and just go through all the list, the negative features and stuff. And I just remember coming home and telling Jody, I said, I, I just, I felt like they were just the most condescending couple of people I've ever been around. So, you know, I say this sadly, but five years later, both those guys are out of ministry. And I can't help but wonder, it's like pride cometh before the fall is the, is the phrase we hear. And oftentimes we can't see the end of things, but but it, the, what they were trying to share was not being motivated with love. It, it was it was condescending. It was we know everything. We're enlightened, and maybe we'll throw you a couple of you know a couple little crumbs here if you if you ask nicely. And and I think that's oftentimes the problem. Take that as an example if if you're looking at those first three verses. And and instead of, you know, again, this is kind of one of those, we could pass out a sheet and have you have some blanks you could fill out, but imagine, say, like, whatever it is you're most proud of in terms of your spirituality, the way you do ministry, the the way you preach or the way you teach or the way you're with someone or the way you've served the body, but but, but add in that word, if I preach the very best sermons ever preached, let's say, in my time, but I have not love, if it's not undergirded with love, then I'm a clanging cymbal, I'm a resounding gong. Everything I'm trying to do is undermined if it's not motivated by love. Years ago, when I was first starting to preach, I was at uh, All Souls, I was an associate at All Souls Church up in Jacksonville, and and um, I finished one of my first sermons after seminary, and Peter Pearson, who had been my my um, he'd been my he, I was on his youth team. I was a volunteer on his youth team, and he was the uh, the pastor in charge of youth ministry. And and he he began to share with me how to be an effective preacher. <laughs> And it was, I mean, it it was basically, this is what he basically says. Alex, your strength is connecting to the people. Your weakness is trying to get too technical in the details. So talk less and connect more, okay? That was his advice, you know, 22 years ago now, or maybe a little bit more. I could hear that. He was right. I don't preach from a manuscript. You don't want to hear me read from a manuscript. He was right, but why could I hear it? Because I knew it was motivated with love, Because he'd been patient with me. He'd, he'd shown me kindness when I was a, a Baptist walking in the door saying, "What is all this Anglican stuff and asking lots of questions and, and dating one of his college you know, one of his, his uh, uh, college-age leaders, Jody Daniel at the time. He was patient and kind. And he And he took the time, and so when, when four or five years later, I walked in and I'm trying to learn how to preach, I could hear it and he to other people. I hope you'll say that he taught me a few things I don't know Well, secondly, is those famous verses, and I want to just pause for a second with them. four through seven, that famous list I've already read through part of them with jesus' name in there, but but those 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 15 verbs, they're the characteristics of love. And, and yes, they do give us a glimpse of Jesus' glory. They, they reveal Christ as who he is. He is all patience. He is all kindness, et cetera, et cetera. But if I'm a follower of Jesus, then I should begin to emulate those characteristics in my own life. So as I told Myers in my camp group last summer, put your own name in those verses, Alex is patient and kind. Alex does not envy or boast. Alex is not arrogant or rude. Alex does not insist on his own way. Is not irritable. Oh, that's a hard one. Resentful. Alex does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Another hard one. Alex does not but he rejoices in truth. Alex bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all If we put our name in, we know how far short we fall. And good news, we're about to head into Lent. So a great spiritual practice would be just to take those four through chapter, four, uh, chapter 13, four through seven, and just add your name in there and let the Holy Spirit convict you about whatever one you need to work on that week. Oh, what a, what a, what a valuable thing. But we're to begin to emulate those things in our own lives. If we're going to be loving, it's not something I love you. It's going to be that we begin to live out those verbs in an active way. I won't spend too much time going through them. There's so many of them. But I want to point out that some are passive and some are are active. Being patient is passive way that you show love. Being kind is an active way you show love. There are more negative verbs than there are positive. I don't know if you've counted them before, but there's actually more negative than positive. Maybe that's a slant. Maybe that's because oftentimes we need to be reminded because oftentimes the things we actually do with our actions undermine what we say with our lips. I love you, and then I'm irritable and resentful and rude and arrogant and blah, blah, blah. It goes on and on one of the things I, love, I, hate, I, I hate about social media is it seems to me like if you're going to be uh, somebody of influence in social media, you have to self-promote constantly. So you almost have to boast and kind of be arrogant and um, you know, and, and insist on your own way. And I, I think that's one of the problems with social media is like to, to, to sort of create your brand, you have to do these things which are really, they look like self-serving. And I, I understand that's the way it is, but it's why you're never going to see me be a, a social media sensation. Well, there's probably other reasons as well, but, but that's a, definitely in the list because I just believe that, that, that it just goes against what Paul says is, is what love looks like. It, it, it's, we've, we've got to be constantly aware of these things. How helpful is it that we've got these 15 verbs to help us define what love looks like? Now, I want to quickly just stop and, and, and pause in the last couple there, because I know it's concerning. Love bears all things and believes all things. What, love's Pollyanna, what, is that, what the heck does that mean? Well, what Paul's actually saying there is that because, because the person who has love has hope that God's ultimate purpose is going to be carried out, then they can continue to to bear up and endure. It's like the the verbs are actually there. there It's two future verbs. They can bear all things, the the present, they can bear all things and they can endure all things because in the future they believe and they have hope that God is going to work all things out. And therefore they can hold up. As As we pray for Ukraine, I pray with, with a sense of urgency, and, and I, but I, I believe that God is going to answer the prayers of the Ukrainian people that are crying out to him in the face of aggression. Jesus said it best. In this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world and all that is in it. And that is the hope that we hold that allows us to endure despite of the things we see and read about in the news and feel in our own lives. That's John 16, by the way, a great verse to memorize. The necessity of love, the characteristics of love, the permanency of love. The world looks so grim. I said it already. We need prophetic voices. We need people to speak into what's going on, and we need to be bold about it. It needs to be motivated by love, but we have to remember that those things, those gifts, all the gifts are fleeing. They're, they're not gonna endure. Only, only love will endure, Paul says. Love only lasts forever. The things that are described here, the way they're exemplified in the person of Christ will only go on to the end. The Corinthians were, were famously known for their polished bronze mirrors. So ladies, gentlemen, just imagine if the only thing you could look for to make sure your makeup was right or your hair was combed was polished bronze. But that's what they were known for throughout the whole world. Paul kind of does this string where he talks about when I was a child, I did childish things and I became an adult. I put away childish things. Now we see through a mirror dimly. He, he, a, bronze, a polished bronze mirror would really give you a dim image. But it makes the point really clear. Now we see things incompletely. Then we will see complete. But here's the thing we can hold to. Those characteristics of love. This is what we're called for. Michael is over. What he didn't tell you is Michael's over next door. He's leading that instructed Eucharist for the kids. So that's why he was asking for your prayers doubly, because he's over there having to to face all the tough questions that that elementary school kids can come up with, and and sometimes they you go, ah, that's a great question. I don't I, don't, I have no idea what the answer to that is, but you know. Kids don't really like that, so you have to come up with some answer and try to do the best you can. And so we pray, need to be praying for Michael. But, but I remember like maybe six months ago, Michael said to me, he said, you know, when you came to Gainesville and you took over servants, it was what they call a rehab church. It had had some issues and infighting and some people had left and it was pretty messy. And, and, and he said, well, what, tell me how, how you did it because obviously we all know Michael's going to one day be a rector. There's no question about that. And um, I just remember thinking, I I said, you know, I can tell you lots of things, but at the end of the day, loving people, loving the people, loving them and loving them and loving them, being patient to them, with them, and being kind, not boasting, I got a better way to do this, oh, I'm going to teach you guys. Not envying other people and other gifts. Not being arrogant or rude. Not insisting on my own way. Not being irritable or resentful. Even when it would be easy to have been resentful and irritable. (laughs) Rejoicing in the truth. Friends, If we want to see Jesus, not only to be looking at him, but to have him be living in us, then we must seek to emulate the love that he expresses. The love he gives to us and the love he extends to other people. We will see the kingdom when we look in the perfect face of Jesus and then say, Lord, Forgive me where I've fallen short and teach me to love as you love. The father says, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And when we listen to him, what he says to us is, love one another. And then he gives us all of these verbs to help tease out what that looks like practically. I know it's hard, but it is so worth it. And nothing demonstrates the love of Christ like the way we love well. Think back in your own spiritual life. Who truly made a difference? The smartest person? The person that was the most spiritual? Or the person who, who truly, patiently loved you and poured into you? And they're the reason why you're sitting here today. Look at Jesus. Listen to him. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.